Again, Pastor Mark and Sarah are leading worship halfway across the country this morning. I'm really interested in what they have to say, possibly about all of us, but we'll ask them tomorrow when they're back. Again, my name is JC and I welcome you. So because I usually am upstairs with the kids, I'm going to ask you the very same question that Olivia is asking them upstairs. Imagine, imagine, anything you draw could come to life. Dave just shivered. <laughs> anything you draw could come to life. What would you draw and what would it do? We are creative beings made in God's image. We are creative. We have amazing imaginations. And whether you think you are a creative person or not, you are. Does anyone have something that comes to mind that you would draw? I'm expecting amazing pictures to come back from kids' time this morning. We'll have to see what our younger generation comes up with. Anyone? Dinosaurs. <laughs> that would be fantastic. What would they do, Dan? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Again, we'll see what the kids come up with. <laughs> we use our imaginations every day. We're constantly making choices on how to live, how to respond to situations, how to solve problems based on how we imagine an outcome. And last week, we started a sermon series on choices. Our life is full of choices, small choices like what to have for breakfast or where to sit when you arrive at sanctuary, and larger choices like how to solve more complicated problems or respond to tough um, situations. We're talked about being centered in God when we make choices. And what do we mean by being centered in God? We're talking about those core convictions that motivate us. Being centered in God might mean the world is good. I am loved, I have purpose, just as we are. We're connected to something greater than ourselves and God is present and working in our lives. Those might be your core convictions. That might be what being centered in God means. You'd likely describe it differently than me and that's okay, that's the point. We talked about Sabbath, this idea of centering in God, not necessarily taking a vacation, but centering in God a practice, whether that's something we practice in community, through giving, through our relationships. Centering on God affects how we make choices. The world is good. If you hold that dear, that affects how you see the world and you operate in it. And this week, we're talking about our ability to imagine where our choices might lead us, where God is leading us, imagining ways of proceeding, opening up new ways of solving problems, right, based on God's vision, God's imagination for us. We're creative people, we have fantastic imaginations, but it can be hard work. We have a hard time trusting something that we can't see right in front of us or we can't see a process in getting there. We have a hard time with that. Our scripture this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, and if you'd like to follow along, you can do so by pulling up that QR code link in front of you to the Today in Worship, This Week in Worship page. Our scripture, again, from the Gospel of Matthew, the fifth chapter. Jesus says, You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. 
But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second. Give to everyone who begs from you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your neighbor and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. So he makes, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good. God sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Here ends the gospel. Jesus helps us imagine another way forward, another option. And this passage is a small part of what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. Have you heard that before? Uh, it begins in chapter five with this visual of Jesus going up a mountain and speaking with his disciples. And this, you know, most likely weren't all these teachings in succession of one another, but it's a collection of almost like, it seems, it reads as like the, the, the greatest of Jesus. Um, it begins with the Beatitudes, the blessed are the peacemakers, the poor in spirit, um, blessed are the meek. And he continues one illustration after another when you read it, offering us a new way to look at the world. You have heard it said this way. I ask you to look at it this way. That's how Jesus taught in stories, in parables, in illustrations to help us imagine a new way to solve a problem. And stories, and this is key, that highlight an imbalance of power, that highlight the way that we push against God. And this teaching is tough. We use these phrases, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, but we don't quite catch what Jesus is actually illuminating here. We tend to think, turn the other cheek. We kind of think like, ignore, take the high road, you know, don't, don't let it bother you. Don't engage. Almost with like an air of like, you know, a little bit of a give up or a cop out kind of a weird, it hangs there with a little bit of a weird apathy that separates us from like what's really going on, turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. Oh, I guess I really got to put myself out there. Maybe I'll get some recognition. I don't know. Nice job going that extra mile. But that's not what Jesus is actually doing here. It's more complicated than that. In this particular example, in the culture of that day, the example Jesus gives, turning the other cheek, giving your cloak, going the extra mile, is speaking specifically to a societal imbalance of power and oppression. Specifically. Someone of greater social stance or power treating you within society's norms, you feeling like you have nothing to do and then responding in a way that calls out the imbalance of power. Responding in a way that highlights the injustice for the oppressor and for people, the public. That's what's going on here. 
He's calling out oppression, disrupting the cycle, giving the oppressed a voice through their actions. Maybe more comfortable to think for us, another way of thinking about this, responding to violence with violence, responding to hatred with more hatred, keeps the violence in circulation. That's not hard to see how that plays out in our world right this very moment. It's not hard to see that that has become our norm. And we know, we know it doesn't really work. Keeping it like really simple in a really complicated issue, we see this play out really easily and significantly in our daily interactions, especially with our kids, our teenagers, however old they might be, um, or with, you know, in stressful situations with colleagues. I'm going to go with the teenager example. Sometimes, sometimes we find ourselves in like a really unproductive back and forth, a cycle that just never ends and just keeps going. Anybody with me? We rationally know that an eye for an eye is an outdated way of thinking, yes? We know that people's life experiences are complicated. We know that returning violence with violence doesn't work. Responding with a verbal cut with another verbal cut doesn't solve the problem. Yet it's tempting and it's an automatic response. The desire to get even with somebody, they deserve it or they don't deserve it. And Jesus goes on, you've heard it said, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. Well, we might not say it like that, but we certainly put up walls and we struggle to live in community with people who are different than us. And when we are hurt, as the situations in this particular passage imply, it's hard to feel like we have any choice at all it's hard to respond outside these patterns of our society or these patterns that are just ingrained into us. But that's what the story is getting at. Jesus is pulling us, reminding us of a bigger vision, a vision that allows us a different way of responding, reminding us of God. This is what it looks like to remember that bigger vision, respond in a different way. There's a book that I read a couple times in kids' time. Gave it to Olivia. She might be reading it. I'm not quite sure. Um, it's a really simple concept. It illustrates this really easily for us. Again, we have a hard time seeing where our actions might lead. It's called Miles of Smiles, and there's a character in it called Mrs. Glass. That's my last name, which might be why I originally picked it out. Um, it's a really simple illustration of a smile being passed through good works from one person to another, right, and ultimately changing the world right? Um, we know that our choices affect others, but it's hard to understand how broad that really is and what we really mean. It's hard to attach our action, actions to God's vision for peace. It's really hard to do that, to make that leap. We can visualize something when we have a little bit of experience with it, right? When you think about where you are today or what you wanted to be when you grow up, it's usually shaped by your interactions or experiences along the way. You know, you had a really great band director and you want to be a band director when you grow up, or it's shaped by experiences and mentors and, and, and role models along the way and your experiences with, with, with life. I recently got back from Minneapolis. I'm in seminary and I'm taking a class um, this semester. We had a, a week-long kickoff, like a nine to five class for five days. Um, 
it was fantastic. It was called Thinking Theologically. I spoke a little bit about it last time I was up here in August. Um, and Thinking Theologically, basically talking about God and challenging all the assumptions that we hold, which are many. It is a wild class with awesome conversation. Um, and we're reading books that approach the gospel from various different perspectives and positions and identities, um, from feminist perspective to queer perspective to indigenous people's perspective, black perspective, um, uh, Latino. Um, we all are, you know, not one thing. We all hold a variety of different um, identities or labels or ways of being in this world. And we operate from the intersection, a unique intersection of all of them. So theology, talking about God, we all do that differently. We all have different experiences with, with God. And our interpretation of Jesus and God is based on 2,000 years or more of theological ideas from people like you and me from different places with different experiences, right? And the voice that we has carried us through the years tends to be um, not the voice of the oppressed, which is why it's important to listen to that now. Whose ideas do we hear the most? Whose images of God have shaped our understanding the most? We went to an art museum, Minneapolis Institute of Art. Has anyone been there? Yes? Oh, I love that. I took lots of pictures. It's so great. Um, we had like 30 paintings we had to find. And many were of the European Renaissance period. I am not a history person. Um, that's kind of a cop out. <laughs> um, but I, I'm always open to learning a lot. In art museums, I feel like I'm in way over my head. And there's like so much to learn. Museums in general, so much to learn at every corner. So we had to find 30 paintings. Most of them were from this Renaissance period in European history when there is this boom of art, of thinking, of science, of new ideas. Um, around the 14-1500s. Um, much of what we think of as Christian art comes from that time period. Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper painting, I know you've all seen it. Michelangelo, Sistine Chapel, that's the Renaissance period. Many of the visuals that come up for us that we think of when we think of Bible stories in Jesus come from this period of time and in Europe. In one painting, I had this really big aha moment, and I was sharing it with Katie the other day, and I don't know if you thought it was as big of an aha moment as I did, but the painting that we were looking at was called Lamentation with St. John the Baptist. It's by an unknown artist in Bruges in Belgium, and it was painted in the middle of the Renaissance. Um, it was a triptych, which is a three-paneled uh, painting, um, usually that kind of tells a story. Think like Science fair opens up, <laughs> tells a story, or the pictures are related. Um, often it's something that's behind an altar in a, like a really formal um, cathedral or chapel. Um, the center was a painting of people uh, lamenting Jesus' death, mourning the death of Jesus. And one side was John the Baptist, and the other side was a, a saint that I'm not familiar with. On the back side, there was a picture of what the Annunciation must, might have looked like, Mary um, coming to the realization that she was to have a divine son. What gave me pause, the background of all of these pictures the death of Jesus, John the Baptist, the saint, was the landscape of the city of Bruges, the landscape where the artist 
was painting from, the landscape, the place where the artist was imagining from. It completely changed and does change the way that I view artwork from this time period. Rather than look at this artwork with a little bit of like a, we've come so far, you know, like we know that Jesus wasn't white. We know that he didn't speak English. We know that he wasn't Christian. You know, like look at this artwork that's ingrained in us and we're like, oh, okay, that's old, right? Even though it's fantastically beautiful and absolutely amazing. I realized that these artists we're practicing something that we have a really hard time doing, taking a story, taking wisdom, taking an idea about God, a story that continues to shape us and placing it here, right where I am right now with my landscape, with the intersections of my identity. What does this mean to me? These stories that Jesus tells were at a particular place in a particular time to a particular people. But the wisdom that we pass down, this consistent imagining of another way to do things, another way to operate, is not locked in one image. It's not locked in one point in history. It's our work to imagine it now. Imagine what it means for our choices in our life to bring us towards God's vision. Sometimes artwork from the past can be distracting because we forget about this original purpose, bringing these stories into the present day and from the perspective of that artist and whatever identity has shaped that person. We can, we can talk like that about much of the way stories that we pass down, illustrations in books, the way that we tell stories. Whose perspective is this from? What does this mean for me now? Jesus, through stories, through parables, attaches our actions now, our experiences, our choices to a larger vision, to God's promise. Jesus' whole ministry is about showing us that we have a God who cares for everyone and is with us. Does that get lost in some of our interpretations? We are connected to something greater than ourselves. That thing is not scary. We have a God who entered the world as a cute, cuddly baby that you want to hug. Not scary. Of little means and a refugee. We have a God that is of love and goodness for everyone, for everyone. And a God that creates us to be in God's very image, creative and loving and good. And we're given this vision of a creating and loving and good world, which Jesus calls God's kingdom. Described in a bunch of ways, both internal and external, both here and now and both in the future. It's complicated. It's conversation. It's thinking about your perspective in your life. It's big thinking and it's hard. It takes trust, right? That God is somehow pulling us towards peace, individually and collectively towards peace. 
What do we do with this right now? What, where's the hope for you, for us right now? Think about where you're challenged to see a next step. Maybe a situation that feels complicated with feelings of hurt or anger. Where do you struggle to imagine a different way forward? And may these words today, may this community, may the people in your life help you to be motivated by the conviction that the world is good, be motivated, be centered in in God, knowing the world is good and that God's vision, God's imagination, God's vision for peace pulls us all forward, you included. Amen.